Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shalook. Shalisten, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Shalook. Shalisten. 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 Oh, very good, Benjamin. It's week three or four of spooky season. And I tell you what, you've spooked the pants. It's week three of spooky season. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. Spooky disembodied finger. And I tell you what, you've spooked the absolute pants off of me this week by making me watch terrifying things until I needed to, to poop in fear, Ben, not in some sort of sexy way. But you look, there's no need to spend any more time talking about my toilet activities because we've got loads to look at this week, including... The monarch, monarchy, what's, what's monsters got to do with it? Also, the curse, is Emma Stone even in a supernatural horror? And I've seen the first three episodes of The Fall of the House of Usher and Loki episode two. Not only that, since it's spooky season, we've both had the dreadfully unpleasant experience of watching The Hollows. Ah. <sighs> Sure, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, and it really was, Michael, I had enough this week after watching The Hollows. I don't know why I came up with this conceit. I don't want oh, to terrible. do it anymore. Terrible stuff. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. But The Hollows uh, was watched, and then we're also going to be taking a look at the enduring legacy of Frankenstein. Mm. Why is it stuck around, Michael? What's the deal with Frankenstein anyway? And why do people keep telling me he's not the monster? He is yeah, the yeah. monster. There just yeah. happens to be another monster. Oh, <laughs> I see what you've done there. It's mm. Aaron Eckhart from it's the Aaron film I, Frankenstein. <laughs> Benjamin. <laughs> yes. Benjamin, speaking of Aaron Eckhart and big spooky monsters, there's been a new trailer for... Ben. Yeah. I thought SAG was back on track, but it's not back on track. It's back off track. It's not. We should probably talk a little bit about that, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We forgot to mention that. It's back off track. Yeah, Michael, so the producers, uh, i.e. the executives, i.e. the big studio moguls, Michael, have walked away from the negotiating table. Fab. Fabulous stuff. Yeah. So, again, it's important to note that the WGA has continued, uh, sorry, has succeeded in their strike terms. Um, However, the SAG-AFTRA, which is now the Actors Guild, uh, is still fighting against the Hollywood will to digitise and hold the rights to use your face in perpetuity. Uh, they still mm. want that. And apparently they have walked from the table because SAG-AFTRA will not budge on this. They refuse to give people the rights to scan your face and use them forever. Which, to be honest, Michael, outside of even an AI a- debate, that's probably an ethical concern more than anything. Mm. Fuck that. If the producers want some faces, Ben, they could get in contact with me because I actually own, in perpetuity, the rights to Ben's face. Now, he doesn't know that because he didn't <laughs> read the contract. But I do, and I'm willing to sell it for a small fee. So if anyone from Big Hollywood wants to get in touch with me, except Harvey Weinstein, then I will gladly sell <laughs> Ben's face. Ah, I don't think Hart Weinstein would do anything with it. Even Weinstein can have it. <laughs> Joke's on you, Michael. No one would want my face in their movie. Oh, very good. Anyway, Ben, speaking of hideous monsters, um, <laughs> Russell Crowe, not Russell Crowe, what's his name? Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell it's an Crow easy mistake to make, Michael. They're very similar. Yeah, they are. They're very similar. They're all throwing phones at people. So, Kurt Russell is back, Ben, and this time he's... Uh, he seems to be the government behind monsters. 
he's, uh, he's he's the government behind a lot of things. He played this character in Fast and Furious. He did, yeah, he did. He Mr. Pl- Mr. Nobody, is that his name? Yeah, he played a 1960s version of Nick Fury in Fast and Furious. So I think he was probably Nick Furious in that. But yes, I suppose, sorry, there's going to be a lot of terrible jokes today, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's, about, it's about 20 past nine on a Sunday morning. Why is it so early, Ben? What's going on? What's going on? We haven't recorded a podcast in the morning time in a long time. Absolutely hideous. I've still got crusty eyes. Yes, I'm still blinking like I have sandpaper attached to the inside of my eyeballs. It's terrible. Horrible stuff. Um, horrible stuff. Come here to me, Michael. Kurt Russell, not so horrible stuff. But yes, he knows all about Monarch's real secrets. And it appears, Michael, we have a classic corporate schism narrative taking place. Hmm. So there are two monarchs. The monarch that claims to be legitimate and important and shady. And then we have a second monarch which knows the real truth of everything. Oh, I didn't really pick that up, Benjamin. I was I was too busy being excited about the fact that it's actually a drama about one girl finding out what happened to her dad. Because yeah. that's what I've always wanted from my monster movies. Uh, Michael, I don't know what executive meeting took place where... They just said, we're going to have to make every movie a heartfelt human experience. So basically, any time we write a big CGI blockbuster, we're going to have to find the true line. To which many a Monster fan went, I, I don't know if, if we do. I don't, I don't oh, know. Yeah. If. That's what ruined Transformers. Yeah, what if, we, what if we just had big, cool monsters being big, yeah, cool yeah. monsters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people were like, oh, how do we stop these monsters? Not, oh, what was my dad involved with? I don't care what her dad was involved with, Ben. Who gives a fatootin' flutin' hootin'? <laughs> Who cares? That's the most Irish thing you've ever said, Ben. Anyway, yeah. Godzilla's back, though, and he's going to do a team-up. It's kind of like the Godzilla cartoon. Michael, there's more monsters than you can shake a stick at in this. There's flying ones, big flappy ones. There's tentacly boys, by the looks of it. There was a weird... From under the ground from under the ground that was very good ladies and gentlemen uh, podcasting as Mick well knows is an audio medium but uh, he's doing a very strong visual there and it's a shame but as they say in podcasting everybody's first podcast is somebody's last podcast yeah (laughs) fuck you anyway Ben um, yeah Kurt Russell's (laughs) going to come along and he's going to sort it all out for us he is, ben. yeah. We didn't get much in terms of story other than, oh, I miss my dad. And, Where's oh, my dad? What was he involved in? I miss, I miss the monarch I built. So those, those are the two that we're dealing with. Benjamin, I don't want to spook you too much, but on my screen there, Ben's in a new location, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And on my screen there, Benjamin, just behind you and to the right, there's very much the shadowed outline of Count Dracula with his high collar. Is there a Dracula there, Ben? <laughs> I think there might cactus. be a Dracula behind you. It's so a what? cactus. It's not a cactus, Ben. It's a little show me cactus casting its shadow. Count Cactula. <laughs> oh yeah, it is a cactus, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry, everybody. There's not a vampire behind Ben. There will be more episodes of the podcast, much to everybody's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Anyway, that's all I have to say about Monarch. I don't know. Is there much more to say about it? I don't, I don't know. Michael, I don't think so, but come here to me. You and I are two terrible people. Oh, some of the worst. Some of the worst, Michael. And do you know what we've never had? Um, heroin. 
<laughs> That's true. I can't actually knock that. We've both had no heroin. Yeah. Um, but we've never had our comeuppance, Michael. Oh, I've definitely had some comeuppance, Ben, but go on anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, definitely. But go on. <laughs> Michael, do you know two other people that have never had any comeuppance, apparently? Emma Stone and the actor who plays her husband. Nathan Fielder, yes. Is that who it is? Yeah. Michael, we got a trailer for The Curse this week. Um, but I have to say, Michael, I don't think there is a curse in this. I don't think there is either, Ben. I don't, I don't think this is actually in our wheelhouse. I think this is a relationship drama. I hope it is uh, both in our wheelhouse and a relationship drama. That would be fun. This is an interesting one. We got a trailer for uh, The Curse from Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie. Benny Safdie is uh, one half of the Safdie brothers, Michael. He plays the cameraman in this by the looks of things. But um, Benny Safdie has written this with Nathan Fielder. And Benny Safdie is kind of an indie darling. He wrote Good Times with Robert Pattinson. Um which is widely regarded as the film that kind of transitioned Robert Pattinson out of Bella, I want to give you a bite to I'm an actor, look at me. Um, yes, I'm Batman. Yes, I'm Batman. And then he also wrote Good Times, or not Good Times, sorry, uh, Uncut Gems with uh, Adam Sandler. Oh, uh, with Adam Sandler where he was doing Diamonds. Yeah, the Safdie brothers are the two brothers that write and direct those features, and Benny Safdie is one of them. He's done this with Nathan Fielder. Are you familiar with the work of Nathan Fielder, Michael? No, Benjamin, I'm not. That's why I called him some man who's married to Emma Stone. That's fair. Nathan Fielder is kind of an internet cult sensation. He is a man who's done many a TV show as an awkward documentarian Louis Theroux-style individual. Um, Oh, very good, okay. But he's even more awkward. He plays a very, um, a very reserved, socially non-functional, deadpan individual who kind of interviews very extreme individuals around America quite often. Um, oh, is it real, Benjamin, or is it Louis? Thur- is it Louis Theroux, or is it uh, fake? So, for many years, people thought that Nathan Fielder was the man he portrayed to be on television. But this has made it very clear that he's not. One of the most jarring things about this, Michael, is we're seeing a full range of emotion and acting from Nathan Fielder. It's very disturbing if you're familiar with his work beforehand. Oh, well, that's good, because I'm not. uh, Hang on, hang on a second, Nathan. You're not supposed to smile at all. You're supposed to be genuinely uncomfortable in most situations. What is this? Uh, But yeah, so he kind of... I think we can now say that he created a very hyperbolic version of himself that was this awkward kind of deadpan individual. And now I would imagine a lot of those situations are being re-examined as a bit of a heightened truth, if you want to look at it that way. Um, You can't call him a hyperbolics. uh, No, I can. I can. I have a podcast. I have a microphone. I can say whatever I want. Say whatever you want. Say Say that thing you were saying about the Holocaust earlier. Uh, It was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> a very good recovery Benjamin anyway uh, he yeah. gets cursed by a young girl for being a big prick for being an absolute prick uh, yeah so these are these are uh, I suppose the villains of this Michael are white people um, by, by the looks of it and yeah they're home flippers Michael they're gentrifiers they come in and they flip homes and they make money and they make a TV show about it and they're kind of USP, their unique selling point, Michael, is that they're good people and they actually invest in the community before they flip their home. Mm. 
And Emma Stone, Ben, she makes buildings that are a reflection of the community, but that just means she puts mirrors on it. Yeah, she just shoves mirrors up on things so nobody can look into her house and then people get fabulous blinded as they drive satire. down the street. Yeah, mm. absolutely fabulous. So there's there's a good bit of satire going on here, Michael. I think it's a very uh, cold, hard look at what's my favourite thing, Michael? Oh, is it uh, died in the wool capitalism? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, late stage capitalism, Michael. That's what it is. <laughs> I couldn't remember the first words. I knew it's it was a critique. <laughs> it's it's a critique of the individualistic late stage capitalist mentality of I'm going to buy homes. I'm going to flip them. and I'm going to make a profit. Fuck the community. Who needs to invest in that? Uh, it yes. is a little bit of a takedown of that. But Michael, here's the thing: the the curse comes about because Nathan Fielder, for the camera, gives a young girl lots of money. Mm, Hundred dollar bill. $100 bill. Lots of money. Not really in America, Michael. It might it might get you a grocery for an afternoon. Uh, yeah. But Won't even get you one dose of insulin. It wouldn't. It take, wouldn't. Take that, it's really America. Bad. It's really bad. Uh, America's a shithole, Michael. Jesus. Um, oh, absolutely the worst. Come here. But he ends up taking it back because he didn't have something smaller. And uh, she curses him. She just says, I curse you. And she's a very, very commanding little presence on the screen. She's like, I curse you. Uh, and then they take that to be an actual curse. But Michael. Go on. I fucking doubt it. I think their own consciences and their own bloody lifestyle is catching up to them. That's all. Oh, I hope it is a curse. I hope it's a curse like in that film where they try and put the demon in the goat. What was that film called? Where they try and put a demon in a goat. Yeah, it had that Australian woman in it. Sam Raimi film, wasn't it? Was it Sam Raimi? Oh, the, one the fucking... Um, had that Australian uh, woman in it. Drag, drag her to hell. Drag me to hell. Drag, drag you, me not, to yes. hell. Yeah, Drag yeah, us yeah. to hell. Drag us all to hell, for God's sake, it's half past nine in the morning. Ben, I hope it's like <laughs> that. I hope it turns out like that. I, fingers I crossed, Michael. Them, I hope it ends with them both being dragged onto train tracks. With Emma Stone inside a goat... And Nathan Fielder being dragged across some train tracks. Yeah, fabulous stuff altogether, Ben. Speaking of, though... The goat. Horrible, horrible curses upon a family. And yeah. gross and gribbly murders. I have seen the first three episodes of your favourite and my favourite, Ben, Mike Flanagan's new series on Netflix, The Fall of the House of Usher. Now, you might say, were you disappointed to find out that it wasn't about the collapse of the popularity of 2000s-era hip-hop? And yes, Ben, I was, because I I'd thought it was about so. Usher. Usher from A-Town. But it's not about him at all, Ben. Because his house apparently is still in good order. This is the story by Mike Flanagan, where Mike Flanagan has got all of his mates. All of them. Every single person he's ever met. And he's put them all in a show together and had them all be horrible. Oh, no. Are they all terrible people? Yeah, they're all terrible people, Ben. They're a crime family of weird sex people. Oh, but I think I think you could probably, at a certain point, Michael, guess that most crime families are full of weird sex people. Are they? Do you reckon the Kinahans are? Ah, I'd say there's a few lads with a, a few leather tassels and leather lacoste oh, hats they put on for certain oh, things. Oh, very good. Okay. Very yeah. interesting. Anyway, Ben. Um, We're really, that's, that's two episodes in a row we've had to go with the Kinahans. We're really treading on some fine ice here. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to listen, Ben, because I think they've got bigger things to be doing than listening to shows to listen on, on uh, Monday BDSM, afternoon. apparently. BDSM, um. for example. <laughs> 
allegedly. It's good that we make ourselves laugh, isn't it, Michael? It's good. It's good. That's the most important thing. (laughs) Benjamin. Anyway, we're just like Mike Flanagan. We just do the same stuff over and over again. But I have seen three episodes of it. I tell you what, though. Can I tell you? Can I tell you a little secret? Go on. It's quite good. We knew it would be, though, Michael. Come on, it's it's Mikey F. Well, there's the thing, though. I didn't really like um, Midnight Spooky Club or whatever it was called. Did you not? Midnight Mass? No, I didn't didn't love it. It was a bit too YA for me. Oh, sorry, you mean... uh, You mean the one he did after Midnight Mass, which was... Yeah. Yeah. Midnight uh, looked at all these kids in a, a strange home. Oh no, monsters. Yeah, there's yeah. monsters in the house or whatever. I can't remember what that was called, Michael. I don't think that was yeah. a hit See? at all, actually. Yeah, so exactly. I think you're probably right there. Yeah, I didn't love it either. Um, but this is great. This is fantastic. It's got Good. everyone you could ever want from Mike Flanagan, Ben. It's got Mike Flanagan's wife in it, obviously. Yeah, it's obviously. It's got Mike Flanagan's mate, Elliot from E.T. Oh, very good, got, yeah. It's got Mike Flanagan's other mate, the voice of the Space Marine from the video game Bolt Gun. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, everyone. I don't know any of these people, Michael. I can't help you. None of the names lined up. Oh, okay. Um, uh, His wife is Kate Siegel. She was in, she's been in most of them. Cool. Uh, The voice of the Space Marine from Bolt Gun is Raul Coley. Yes. He's in it. Um... Elliot from E.T. I can't remember the actor's real name. Henry something? Very good. That's enough. Anyway, Mark Hamill is in it, Ben. Ah, uh, Marky H. Very good. And anyway, it's the story. It's a. It's one of those... It's one of your favourites, Ben. Go on. It's a, it's a framing device story. Oh, I love a framing device story. I know you do. I know you do, Ben. You love it. You love when the story is someone telling the story. Yeah, that's great, Michael, because it could be an unreliable narrator. How do we know any of this is true? Very good. So the father of the House of Usher, Ben, Roderick Usher, or Rod, as I call him. Uh, and um, as you, Nobody else does. He's called Roderick for no, most no, of that just, series. But yeah, you I, call, him I call him All six of his incredibly multi-ethnic and weird sex people children have been killed. Now, Michael, come here to me. Are they his children? Yes, they're his. They're his physical children. Yes. So they've they just. He's just been fucking around. Yeah. He's just been basically. lashing it about, right? Yeah. Basically, his thing is Ben. He was he was denied by his father, so if he has a child with any woman, then that child becomes an usher. Oh, I see. It's just like Grant. Then you come. Yeah. Exactly. Not very good. Now the others aren't always happy. No, I wouldn't say they are. No, exactly. So there's a bit of a divide between the legitimate children and the bastards, for Oh, example. very good. This is literally a pack of bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally a pack of bastards. Ben, but I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say they're all weird sex people. They are all weird sex people. Oh, they're yeah. all up to weird sex shit. Like, it's, it's definitely part of the theme of this that all of the kids are weird sex people. Because yeah, my- a, a, a lot of them are getting comeuppance revolving around them being weird sex people. Michael, we could make a very good cum joke there, but we won't because we're classy. <laughs> Everybody gets come up them, Ben. <laughs> but uh, only a few people get come up. And... Oh, dear. Oh, dear. We, we almost took the high road there, Michael. Go on, anyway, tell me a little bit more. This sounds so, fascinating. 
It is fascinating, Bill. It appears to be, after three episodes, and we're going to go into mild spoilers now, so just go watch it, because it's great so far. So I episode can't, one we're in the middle of a podcast. Fanta- yeah, no, pause the podcast. I'm, okay. not, I'm not talking to you, Ben, I'm talking to oh. the listeners. Oh. I'm going right. to send that little vampire behind you. Get, get him, little Dracula. <laughs> get him, Count Cactula. Anyway, Ben, do an AI after this of Count Dracula as a cactus. I will. Or else. Or else. Or else I'll send uh, Carla Gugino to put a curse on your family. So anyway, Ben, Carla Gugino's there and she seems to be a curse on their family. So she's just a curse. I don't know, Ben. If I was to take a guess, it appears that Roderick, or Rod as I call him, and his sister Madeline. Oh yeah, Rod and Mad. Who is Rod and Mad, who is played by a combination of the, the... president of the world from Battlestar Galactica and the lady cop from Jack Reacher because it's flashbacks. Oh, okay. It's flashbacks, I see. Um, it appears they've made some sort of Faustian bargain, Ben. Ah, yeah, as you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now the the devil wants its due, for want of a better term. An old devil's handshake, so to be. Exactly, Benjamin. An old devil's bargain, as they say. <laughs> and... Uh, and now she's back and she's like, oh, I'm going to kill all your kids for you. Because <laughs> you made a Faustian bargain, bud. Yeah, I told you. I told you I'd be back in 50 years or whatever and I'd kill all your kids. And uh, I might not have mentioned that I was going to kill them in weird sex ways because they're all weird sex people. But uh, I am. <laughs> but that's how it's got to be. Come up and yeah, they don't call it that for be. nothing. <laughs> and it's very good, Ben. I have thoroughly enjoyed it so far. The performances are very good. It's a little bit... It's definitely, I don't know, I, I I have nothing against this whole nepotism in cinema thing where people like working with people and keep bringing back the same people, mm-hmm. but I, it, it's a little bit distracting going, oh look, it's, um, it's the mad priest woman from Black Mass, oh look, it's the guy who delivered the post in episode four <laughs> of... Of the House of Hush- Usher Hill or whatever. It's yeah. it's getting a little bit distracting that it's always exactly the same people. Um, yeah. It's nice for Raoul Cooley to be playing a bastard. Yeah, he's probably having a great time playing a bastard. Kate Siegel, his wife, is playing a bastard. That's very good. What about, Michael, what about Ruth Cobb? Irish woman Ruth Cobb. Um, She plays Irish woman Ruth Cobb. Oh, that's good. That's good. Is she a bastard? Yeah. It, Okay, like I said, we're into little spoilers a little bit. She is his new wife. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Now, we haven't really got into her yet, but she's a a former junkie um, who he has married despite this enormous age difference. And also, she seems to be looking like Carla Gugino on purpose. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, weird. There's some weird stuff going on. But like I said, Ben, I haven't seen it all yet. All right, you're going to have to go and watch the rest of it after this, Michael. Very good. I fully intend to, Ben. I'll have seen it all by this time next week because it's very good and very exciting. Very good. Speaking of the new things that I haven't seen, Michael, you've watched oh, Loki no. Season 2, Episode 2. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's that's yeah, such good. So a, a shocking revelation for a Marvel TV show, Michael. It is. This is, it this is. is very strange. This is very, very strange, strange goings on. 
Benjamin, I said last week that I wasn't a huge fan of Sylvie. I don't. I never particularly clicked with the character. But this is not necessarily her episode, but it's it's she's more involved in it now, and she was she was quite good. You enjoyed it, did you? I did enjoy it, Ben. So basic plot summary, without getting into spoilers too much. Go on. Is the TVA has fractured, Ben? Oh, not the TVA. A schism, Michael. A schism, Ben. It's a bloody another uh-huh. schism or schism, depending on how you pronounce that word. Um, I see. So there's another schism, Ben, and the TVA is divided into people who want to kind of preserve the timelines and save all of the people's lives living on them. Right. And then the hardline traditionalists led by the Scottish woman who are like, Eh, now we'll break down all the blatant timelines. That's my Scottish accent, Ben. Very South Park circa 1999. Good. <laughs> it was a little bit. Anyway, so they're off blowing up all the timelines, Ben, and the the people who are like, oh no, there's people living in those timelines. Don't do that. Are oh, trying to no. stop them. Right, and you yeah, know that's... what's good about this, Ben? Yes. For, for one thing, they kind of keep forgetting how powerful Loki is. Right. Now, they did a thing, if you remember, where in the TVA, powers don't work. They don't work. They're no good. They're no good, which is a good way of neutering Loki. For a bit. Um, For a little bit. But then they send him out into the real world and he gets into like a fist fight with people. Right. And I'm watching this and he gets into a foot chase with a man. And I'm watching this going, this guy handily beat up Captain America. Without breaking his his sweat, Michael. Yes. This guy... Might not win, but he's a physical match for Thor. Right. You know what I mean? He's Yeah, he's a god. Loki is, yes, Loki is seriously powerful. And then they have him not being able to catch a normal man in a foot chase. Or, you know, pushing and shoving. Yeah. You know, pushing and shoving with normal people in a fight. And I'm watching, didn't this guy, like, throw Captain America clean across a room? Isn't yeah, it? a few times. This this guy, thousands of years old and hilariously strong. And has but a lot then, of experience. Yeah. yeah, they redeem it a little bit because out in the real world, he gets to do a bit of Loki magic in this episode. Ah, classic. He does classic Loki stuff and it's a little bit bad guy-ish. Oh, I like it. Oh, he's, oh, he's, yeah. he's shaking off the dust a little bit, huh? A little bit, a little bit. You got to see a little bit of the old villain Loki, which is very exciting and very good. Um, for, for example, Ben, and here we go now into spoilers for Loki on, season two, more. episode two. Uh, he chases this man who he's trying to track down around the corner. And um, there is, in classic TV conceit fashion, this guy is dressed up for a movie premiere. And he runs around a corner in 1970s London. And Ooh. around the corner, there is an unlikely gathering of mods and punks who take a dislike to this fella and like, oh, it's fancy boys here. We better beat him up. I have that and experience every time I'm in London. Every time you're in London, you run into a bunch of punks who want to beat you up for being too much of a fancy lad. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> I'm watching going, this is ridiculous. Why are there so many people here? And why have they all just turned on this guy? But guess what, Ben? What? They were all just Loki. It was all just ah, Loki doing constructs. It's it's like it's like when he was a snake. Yeah, yeah. And he, he bit him. Ah, yeah. So anyway, it's pretty good. I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, Very good. For the first two episodes. 
Michael, that's what? highly shocking that Loki has returned to form because this week we got a little bit of light shed on what's been happening at Marvel TV. Oh, yeah, they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, because you and I have, have scratched our heads for a bit and gone, what, what the fuck are the lads up to? <laughs> what are they doing? What are they up to? What's so, going on? Why is, why is everything so rubbish? What seems a bit of a shame, Michael, is they're re-releasing... Um, what was the what was the black and white film Werewolf by Night? They yes, brought it Werewolf last year. By night. They're they're re-releasing it in color. Yeah, that misses the point. How shit is that? Who? The, the only thing that I think was raved about critically last year was Werewolf by Night, where they're like, finally, something a bit different, with a slightly different tone, an interesting gambit, the black and white works so well, and they've just gone, oh, but people probably want it in colour. No, you fuckwits. Yeah, people didn't like it, because they, they had to imagine what the colours were. That is, yeah, what, what are you like that? No uh, one was watching it going, this would be better in colour. <laughs> how am I supposed to know what colour that woman's jacket is? They've just missed the point by a country mile and gone, this'll be fine for a for another Halloween thing, wouldn't it? Instead of writing another interesting mini Halloween special, which people clearly fucking loved, because who doesn't love a Halloween special, Michael? Well, we do, because we're doing a whole month of the damn things. We did, yeah. We're, we're trying to make it big time. But, Michael, we also, The Hollywood Reporter broke this week how Marvel's been running its TV shows. Would you like to hear some of this? Poorly. <laughs> poorly so Marvel doesn't commission pilots Disney yeah, Marvel doesn't sense. do pilots so they don't test any of the material that they're going to run before they put it out and Michael despite the complexity of the TV system pilots are quite important in deciding what people might find interesting what works and what doesn't so yeah, but no. Hold on a second, though. I I understand why they're doing that because they're the idea behind it was to treat these shows like movies, basically. Yeah, that's what they were attempting to do. Um, and you don't make a pilot for a movie. Exactly. So the the secondary thing they did was because we're treating these like mini movies, lads. We're not going to hire showrunners. <laughs> so. Mm. There are no showrunners being brought in to do these things. What's happening is film executives are being hired in to do it instead. And I don't know if this debate's been going on long enough, Michael, but certainly since the WGA and SAG after strikes, we've come to realise that the executives of these companies don't really know what they're doing. They're not... Kevin Feige did, but now he's overwhelmed. But he made movies, Michael. He didn't make television. You can't just say, yeah, we're good at movies, so we'll just do television. The actors can do that. But that's what they promised us, Ben. That's what we wanted. We basically wanted, like, three-hour movies broken into six half-hour bits. Yeah. Yeah. But then we don't want that anymore, though, Michael. No, because they've all been rubbish. Because they've all been rubbish. But, Michael, the biggest kind of slam dunk that The Hollywood Reporter hit us with was confirmation that they relied on post-production and reshoots. They rushed through production things so that they would have content for marketing as soon as possible. So they would kind of... Ah blitz this six episode format or eight episode format whatever they were doing and that would generate content for the mill as it oh, were oh for the grist for the grist and then anytime something went wrong 
directors and uh, actors weren't given time to do it while filming. They were told, ah, we'll fix it in post, literally, um, and re- we'll reshoot if we need to. And that is what has led to the disaster of the Marvel TV shows. So they have also confirmed, Michael, that they will be moving to a more traditional, multi-seasonal approach uh, moving forward. Oh, very good. Well, that's not exciting at all, because that's not going to happen. Benjamin, your cactus looks even more Dracula-y now. He's lost his cape, but he's gained an ear. Yes, but as the the sun is kind of coming across, Michael, um, it's coming in. You'll notice, Michael, that the window that's casting that light has an X in it, not unlike the Christian cross. That's the only reason I haven't been royally fed upon by Count Cactula. That's it. And the sun. Of course, and the and the sun. He's just he's just having a little peek. Gets a little bit of sunburn. And he goes ah ah. I'm Count Cactula. Ah, very spiky. And obviously, Michael, he doesn't need fangs to feed on me. He just throws himself at me as a cactus, and then my blood goes up all the little spines. So it's like yeah, it's very good. That's actually like that's how cactuses feed in the wild. Speaking of spiky things that unnerved me this week, Michael. Yes, go on. We've continued our. Absolutely seminal series. Things that go bump mm. in the night. In the Eha, yeah. In the Eha, yeah. Things that things that go bump in the Eha. Ruddy and mock and shins and Eha. Um yeah, fair so good. yeah, they're they're out there, you know. And uh, we've this week, Michael, we've watched The Hallow. Oh Horrible. I fucking wish we hadn't, Michael. Horrible experience altogether, Benjamin. We've been watching all these light horror comedies for the last couple of weeks. And now all of a sudden you've dropped this on me. This absolutely harrowing experience. This weird Fenian mushroom nightmare. It's it's fucking bizarre. It's absolutely horrendous, Ben. There's only four humans in it. Yeah, it's it's fucking... What an achievement, Michael, of a film set in Ireland. I never would have thought it possible. But fuck me, this thing is... Horrible. It's a horror film of the truest sort, Michael. Ah. Like, it it shares some of the tone and the imagery of the film we watched a few weeks ago, The Hole in the Ground. It does, yeah. It shares the tone, the imagery, some of the same themes, the same baddies, basically. Essentially, yeah, essentially. But everything is just horrible. Oh, it's so bad, man. (laughs) Everything Um, is bad and horrible. What a terrible universe to live in. This is dark. It's this is a dark, dark film. It is incredibly Irish in some ways, and then incredibly English in others. Because one of the problems that a lot of Irish films have is that you can't get the backing necessary all the time to make a big horror epic from Irish production studios. Yeah, Mm. the money's not available in Ireland. We don't really have that kind of funding available. So quite often you'll have to go over to the BFI, the British Film Institute, and you'll have to say, I want to make an Irish thing. And they'll go, grand, but there have to be English people in it. And you go, ah, well, that's a bit awkward because, you know, sometimes English people don't get the best reception over here. Um, And somebody at the BFI went, oh, is that the plot? Excellent. Do that. Oh, very good. We'll send over Benjamin Stark. Would you have Benjamin Stark? Yes, so Benjamin Stark makes his way over to Ireland with his lovely wife and his little baby Finn. Hmm, little Irish baby. Little Irish baby, but he's London-born, Michael. He's London-born, and that's mm. very important. But come here to me. They are making their way over. Uh, 
the Adam Adam is the name of the character in the film and Adam is a fungal expert and a wildlife expert and he's been sent to do a survey of a local forest in Galway oh is it Galway it, well, it's filmed in Galway so I assume it's Galway but I don't I it's just, never really I assumed it was somewhere in and around Bray because Bray is horrible <laughs> Michael is actually working on his first ever horror debut, and it's just called Bray. Um, it's, it's just very called worrying. Bray. Yeah. He has some very strong opinions about Bray. But come here to me. Adam comes over, and uh, they begin to mess about in the forest, Michael. And uh, it doesn't go very well for him and his family. There is so much folklore, so much Irish mythology kind of fused together in this and lobbed at the at the story and it kind of works in places but in a very horrific way oh it's horrible there's horrible stuff going on this is one of the most uncomfortable things I've watched in ages it's just relentlessly grim and dark and horrible so relentlessly grim and dark and horrible Michael I watched this years ago this came out in 2015 Michael around the same time as The Witch by Robert Eggers I don't know if you remember that Mm. but this came out in 2015 Michael and it was kind of riding the crest of a a folk horror revival um, Mm. where people were like oh folklore can actually be pretty creepy Um, in much the same way now as every single Um, movie trailer has a classic 80s pop song that used to be quite happy and bouncy but now slowed and dropped down a key so that it's elongated and strange sweet dreams are made of these yeah absolutely correct spot on that was Michael I could not have asked for a better explanation of the concept that I just gave thank you very much thank you Benjamin I just gave you a little example there Every once in a while, Michael, you do something and you remind me why I enjoy doing this podcast. That was one of them. Thank you I'll very much. I'll fuck you, Ben. Thank I'll you fuck very you. Much. That was Should very be every good. day. Anyway, Ben. Ben. <laughs> yeah. Ben. Yeah. Folklore is back. But it's not just folklore in this because they went, uh, maybe it's not folklore. Maybe it's mushrooms. Yeah. So Robert Curran, uh, or sorry, Curran Hardy, not Robert Curran. Um, I was confusing him with Robert Eggers there. I was having a little, little mind moment. Curran Hardy is the director and writer of this and he wanted to really emphasize the n- not only the folklore fear of Ireland uh, the fear of Ireland because we are terrifying um he wanted to <laughs> move away from the supernatural and maybe have a little bit more basis in science first of all Karen, let me give you a little heads up buddy you don't have to do that it's fine you can just leave it as folklore it works just as well but we did anyway he played the video game the last of us and went oh what if i did that but in a forest in bray <laughs> in Bray or thereabouts um, is this this is after The Last of Us is it okay it is um, yeah okay so the it's, video it's just game. classic it's, it's the classic Cordyceps it's back Ben Cordyceps is everywhere Michael you can't get away from it it's fucking it's terrifying. definitely there's something about the Cordyceps fungus Ben that really infected people's minds very about good about 10 years ago thank very you very much very good it really Thank you very much. It really infected people's minds about 10, 15 years ago and a slew of horror films were based around it. But the funny thing about this is it doesn't really need to be. But, but, double but, but, Ben, as they say. Double buts. It does give the creepy monsters a visual identity. It does. They are very, very clearly defined as things. I thought when I saw the trailer for this, Michael, that these were going to be ugly, bugly, grey, ill-defined things. They're not at all. They're gross and horrible. 
Oh, there are horrors of things coming out to you. There's a spectacular shot, Ben, about midway through when it goes from oppressive to just relentlessly awful. And that's the scene when they're attacked in the car. Yeah. Oh, fucking and, hell, man. And his wife, Claire, who whose accent I could not place. I couldn't tell if she was supposed to be Irish or English or Australian. I couldn't tell where she was from. But that's neither here nor there. She is in the car and she's trying to start the car. Yeah. And he has the, the bonnet open. And then he puts it down and we finally see a couple of them behind him properly. <laughs> Terrifying stuff altogether. Catches you out of nowhere. So there's there's a few things that went into the visual identity of this film. But Karen Hardy has cited Ray Harryhausen films and stop motion as one of his biggest inspirations. Um, and I do think we get a bit of that from the creature design that we get. They're kind of... Ugly, buggly, broken frame animated things on occasion. And there's a lot of kind of janky movement and stuff like that. Just to really drive home that these things aren't really human anymore. Or are they, Michael? Or are they? They also have more than a touch of pumpkin head about them. Yeah, they've now, got a I lot don't of pumpkin mean head going. The, I don't mean a man with the pumpkin on his head. I mean the, the classic 80s horror monster pumpkin head. Yes, the vengeance demon pumpkin head. Yeah, um, they've got more than a touch of him about them, the way they're crepping about the place and their yeah. distended hands and arms and everything. Very creepy stuff, Michael. Very creepy stuff. I, despite what I, uh, despite the terror that I felt at certain points, I quite liked the solidness of this as a story. I liked the little sprinklings of Irish folklore. There's a scene at the very beginning, Michael, where they arrived at the house and um, Claire is determined to kind of put her stamp on the home and she starts to take down all the iron bars on the window. Uh-oh. To which everybody went, oh, to, oh Claire, Claire, Claire. It, you can't. Classic Brits. Don't get rid of the iron, Claire. The iron is important because in our folklore, Michael, iron burns the elf fairies and keeps them away. They can't go in past it, you see. Yeah, you can't be mucking about with iron, say fairy parents. Don't be doing that. But it also follows Mm. another very important conceit of Irish folklore. One that has kind of been glossed over in our drive to uh, monetize our folklore with, you know, leprechauns and fairy folk and stuff like that. But for millennia here in Ireland, well, centuries here in Ireland, let's be a little bit more realistic. There's a very important rule with fairies. Don't fuck with fairies or fairies will fuck with you. And you don't want that. They're the worst bunch of lads. They're They're the the absolute worst bunch of lads. They're the worst bunch of lads. There are several moments where Benjamin Stark decides that he's going to sort this out once and for all. Fuck this. I'm a man. I'm going to sort this out. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, no, Adam. No, that's not the attitude to take to this at all. <laughs> oh, dear. No. Listen to Rats from the Flats. Listen to Roose Bolton. He's trying... Now, now, Ben, you have to say that Rats from the Flats is complicit in a lot of this because he is Michael McElhattan. That's his real name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Noted Irish uh, character actor Michael Matt Ben, I used to serve him quite often when I worked in Cineworld, and he was only a tiny bit famous. <laughs> and he would he would he would come in and watch a film and have a coffee in the bar in Cineworld. But that's neither here nor there. That's quite nice. Um, that's quite a nice little well, Michael consi- Mackenhead. In fact, I consider us personal friends. Um, so <laughs> get him on the podcast. I'll get him on the podcast, Ben. I'll say, remember when we used to have a coffee once a week? I used to serve you a coffee once a week. Um, 
in Cine World in the early 2000s. Usher was popular. No? Doesn't ring a bell? Anyway. Um, <laughs> what were we saying? <clears throat> yeah, his... <clears throat> Michael has become so lost in nostalgia, ladies and gentlemen, that he's got a frog in his throat oh, and a little cough. bit of mist in his eye. <laughs> got a bit of mist. But his character is the classic horror character of I know what's going on but I'm not going to tell you until it's oh, too late. He's, he's just a fucking, fucking tell them. <laughs> just fucking tell them. Right from the start tell them and if they don't believe you they don't believe you but just fucking tell them. Between him and noted Irish character actor Michael Smiley the guard who's yeah. like oh, this isn't London mister. Things here go bump yeah. in the night. Um, and you're just like no 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 tell them that there's a race of subhuman infected mm. that are a problem. D- don't uh, stop it. What, what do you do? What do you mean? Don't hint around it. Don't hint about it and say, I'll tell you later if you come to see me in my house. Just fucking tell them. Michael, the most unrealistic thing about this film is when Michael McEnhaden reaches inside his jacket and pulls out a necronomicon of Irish folklore. <laughs> Great stuff. That's my favourite scene, actually. <laughs> and just leaves it on the table for Claire and says, read, read that ancient tome that's probably bound in human flesh there. Get that into you. Yeah. Have a quick look at this. It's me, Rats from the Flats, or Roose Bolton from Game of Thrones. Now, there's an amazing bit of foreshadowing that goes into that, Michael, because we see on the end page of that that there is a mother and child and some kind of demonic being wrapping his arms around them. And, of course, that kicks off our the, the body transformation or the body horror element of this film, which is fucking awful. Um, Horrible stuff, Benjamin. Adam Adar from Lord of the Rings um, gets stabbed in the eye. Oh, and he starts becoming a fungus man. And getting stabbed in the eye and becoming a fungus man is one of my now greatest fears. Yeah, I'll never look through a peephole ever again if I'm in a rural area. Yeah, well, good. I, I, that's good. That's good to hear, Ben. It's nice to see some character growth from you, to be honest. Yeah, good, but, um, yeah. but uh, he has a breakdown in front of the mirror when he realises how infected he is. And it's harrowing, that scene, where he's like, oh, no, it's in my eye. But he's better at acting than me, obviously. Yeah, he's he does that so well. His distraught father bit from start to finish, awful. Just horrible, uh, horrible. Uh, stuff. Not awful in terms of its skill at being portrayed. Actually, quite good. Awfully heartbreaking. Yeah. Horrible stuff altogether. You um, one of my favorite things about this, Michael, is it it quickly becomes a husband versus wife thing because mm. he can now see the fairy world um, a little bit better, and he realizes. When Claire goes to retrieve the baby the first time it's Nick, because he passes out. He has a little, he's gone through a lot. He's after been bunged into a car. He's lost his dog, man's best friend. Um, yeah. He's been living Negative in Negative points for that, by the way. Negative points for that. That really pissed me off. But we'll get into that in a second. Um, and then poor old Claire has to do the, <laughs> one of my favourite bits is, look, it's fine. The baby's safe. The baby's safe. And they open the thing and there's a fucking <laughs> changeling over the baby being like, how are you? <laughs> it's like, oh shit, the baby's not safe. Um, He's not safe. There was a changeling there the whole time, I swear to God. The whole time. So then poor old Claire goes and she dunks herself in the lake to retrieve her baby. But Michael, Michael, that kicks off a whole thing of, is that Finn? Which baby is the real baby? And one of my favourite things about this film is that Claire never looks at the baby from that point on. She kind of holds the baby as a bundle from that point on. And it's subtly hinted to us, and spoilers for the film here, ladies and gentlemen, that she hasn't got Finn. Mm. 
there's also a terrifying scene where uh, Benji Stark is kind of in and out of a fairy haze and he realizes that it's a changeling and he puts a little bit of iron on it as a baby and he says reveal yourself and it does but she can't see so she flees from her husband then yeah or does it Ben or is he going mad or is he going mad there's some really good elements at play here Michael one of my favourites I I think cinematographically speaking Mm, that's a word cinematographically speaking yes um this is very strong. I'm, I'm thinking in particular, as, as, the, as we reach kind of the denouement of the entire film, Michael, uh, he lights a scythe on fire and he begins to stalk through the forest. Um, and Michael, what, what a flaming bit of cinematography that is. Well, that's the poster bin. Yes, it's very good. It's very you know what good. they said? They said, oh, oi, lads, put that on bloody poster. That is bloody good English. stuff. Oi, oi, oi. Yeah, that's... A, that's Watch out for that blooming Irish. Yeah, watch out for that blooming Irish. Whoa, whoa, my collie wobbles, eh? There's only two Irish people in this. There's only two Irish people in this for an Irish film. Anyway, there's only only five people in it, and one of them is a baby, so we'll forgive them that. From from that point on, Michael, it kind of goes balls to the wall on just terrifying us, because poor old old Adam finds his dog. Um, And, Michael, that broke my heart, because I hate any time a dog gets hurt in a film. I'm just like, this bullshit. Utterly against it. Utterly against it. Get fucked. Um, and it is a very harrowing thing. And then he just starts taking on fairy people, which are supposed to be changelings and banshees and things like that. But they're not really. Turns out they're just infected people. Horrible fungus um, monsters. Yeah. And um, Galway Man, uh, Galway Man who carries around Necronomicons in his coat, it turns out his daughter was taken by one of them. And we meet Cora. Um, and we kind of met Cora earlier in the film with the car scene but Cora has the baby and she has taken the baby because she likes it she likes mm. having a little baby that's it that's the only reason there's not a there's not a a supernatural reason he's not a chosen one or anything it's just uh, no the demented little girl took the baby yeah. because she wanted a baby to da. play with she said give me that yeah, give me that. Um, and Michael, we then come to the, the final crux of it where Adam has to convince his wife, despite the fact that he's turning into a fungus man himself, no, the mm. real baby is in my hands. Please take this one and get rid of that one. And we're like, oh no. Which baby's oh, real no. baby? Which baby is real baby? Ask it a question that only the baby would be able to answer. And of course, yes. <laughs> I don't know what that would be, Michael. Um... <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, the, the tension of this film just keeps on fucking going, Michael. Horrible stuff. So tense. So tense. Horrible. Um, so tense and horrible. Incredible body horror stuff. A classic jump scare at the end of the film. Spoilers again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is. It's so unnecessary and so obvious. What a weird jump scare to end it. It's it's hilarious. That was designed purely to make cinemas go ah. Yeah, I, I bet it worked a bunch of times. Um, yeah, but they did. knock down the forest because they never get Adam's report. So it's quite funny. The forest in protecting itself, because that's kind of what the forest is doing. The cordyceps kind of acts as a nature's protector. It basically um, swallows up people um, that come into the forest to try and damage it. But because they didn't get the report from Adam, the logging company that wants to tear it down goes, all right, just... Fucking destroy that, so get get rid of that. Mm. But Michael, then we find out all the ship's logs have cordyceps on them. 
Oh, no. I don't think it's going to be a big problem because it can't survive in sunlight, so I wouldn't be too worried. Well, for plot hole purposes, Michael, it's going to take over the world. Oh, very good. Okay, and then that's how we get the film The Last of Us. Ben. Yeah. Speaking of body horror. Go on. For this week's Halloween Spook Festival. Spooktober, but yes. We're, yes, but Halloween Spooktober. We're looking at the original body horror, Benjamin. Yeah. What happened when Frankenstein entered the bodybuilding competition? Yeah, it was an absolute classic 1980s film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Michael, in one of his early films. Um, and apparently, to paint him green every day took about 17 hours because he had so much body mass to cover in green paint. And then he kept going to the gym before they'd shoot and he'd sweat it all off. And they'd go, "Ah, oh, Arnie. And he'd go, I'm sorry, I need the pump. Um, and, Is Frankenstein green? He's not usually uh, green. Depends on whichever film you watch. Depends on depends on what you look at. But this 1980s one, Michael. I'm just kidding, ladies and gentlemen. There's no film called Frankenstein Enters a Bodybuilding Competition. I wish there was. Um, I'd watch it. But come here to me. We're taking a look at Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Mm, by the by, the noted mother of all science fiction, Mary Shelley Frankenstein. Mary Shelley Frankenstein. That's definitely her name. Don't look it up. So this this came about quite. Um, madly, Michael Frankenstein is a a bizarre creation, and it's it's gone on to leave a legacy no, that is good. quite frankly stunning. Um, very it, good. It is widely regarded as the first science fiction um, work, and it's by English author Mary Shelley, who was Michael. I don't know if you know this, a woman. Ooh, oh, God, get out of here! How did she learn how to write? How did she learn how to write? Get fucked. She was a, a uh, she was a rich woman. Her mother was Mary Wollstonecraft. I don't know if you know anything about Mary Wollstonecraft. Is she the woman from the Great British Bake Off? She's not. No, um, Mary Wollstonecraft was actually one of the first ever feminist authors. Um, Michael, oh, she very wrote good. a very important text um, about something called the spheres, and she talked about how women were allowed to be in one sphere and men were allowed to be in another, and how they had to cross over. She was, she was one of the early feminist authors, and that rubbed off on Mary uh, Shelley. She was quite feminist in her time, uh, as much as eighteen as the eighteen hundreds would allow. Um, mm. So the modern Prometheus, or Frankenstein, was written in 1818, Michael. Um, and it's the classic Dr. Frankenstein uh, yes. is obsessed with preserving life and continuing life. And he creates a monster. Um, and that monster is Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein himself. We'll get into that in a little yeah. bit. Anyway, yeah, the yeah, reason yeah. this was now, written, my argument, Michael, Ben, is... My argument on. is he shouldn't have done that. Uh <laughs> He shouldn't have. Yeah, that's that's, that's my sad. philosophical bent on this: is that he shouldn't have done that because um, what a what a hubris, hot take, hubris and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah, a hot yeah. take, Michael. Um, what a hot take. So she simultaneously created one of the earliest science fiction stories, but also one of the earliest body horror examples that we could possibly come across. Um, reading actual Frankenstein is a genuinely queasy and unpleasant experience at points. Um, there are different moments within this story, um, one of them being the dream that Frankenstein has about his dead wife being pregnant, and uh, her body kind of opens up and lets loop monsters. It's awful. It's there's there's a lot of strong body horror imagery that would go on to influence other people. But when we sit down and 
we, we think about this, quite often people are like, oh, well, she's writing a feminist text about man's hubris or she's writing a text that, uh, you know, really emphasizes how men can cause more harm than good. And then, you know, the dream sequence is her take on the terror of motherhood and the lack of support from the. It's not at all. Um, she created uh, a scary story that was part of a competition with four other writers. Mm. Um, Frankenstein is written to be scary intentionally and and it's based on a short story she created with four notable uh, 17th century literary figures would you like to know who they were okay for the for the sake of the the conceit of the podcast yes benjamin who was it so she used to hang out with the romantics michael uh, the romantics being uh, percy b shelley who would be her future oh, yeah. husband and an absolute oh, yeah. um she also <laughs> hung out with john polidori Oh, yeah. Sounds Italian. Uh, John Polidori wrote uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Ca- uh, Caligari and is widely regarded as creating the European vampire concept long before mm. Bram Stoker. Um, so that's that's an interesting one. And Lord Byron, none other than famous romantic poet Lord Byron. And they all made a challenge while they were lounging about a, a kind of a river house. I don't know what that is. but that's A what's chalet. Written. A chalet, if you were. Because they were doing that all the time because they were rich and foppish. Um, mm. But yeah, they yeah. had a little competition to write the scariest possible story and this is what came out of it. And it's fucking terrifying. It's also weirdly written. It's a weird rambling nonsense of it. It's very much a first draft of a book. Oh, it is, yeah. Absolutely. She was not it's an established like, author at the time. No. But also, like, it's very clearly like, I'm going to sit in this house and write this book and let's just see what comes of it. Now... They didn't really have the process we have now where you'd never get away. There's not big studio interference in in this because mm. it's a rambling, nonsensical madness of a thing where the monster, large parts of it, the monster is completely absent. Yeah, we don't see that much of them. Like most retellings of it focus on the monster. Yeah. Or if, if not focus on the monster, um, focus on the hunt between Frankenstein and the monster. But that's really only the last bit of the book. Yeah, but it's it's yeah, exactly. It's the last tiny bit when they're in the Arctic together. And um mm. it's 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 such an interesting tale, Michael. But it's clearly struck a nerve because it's stuck around for a long, long time after it's publishing. Um I made a glib little joke at the beginning of this podcast, Michael, that uh Frankenstein isn't the monster. Or is oh, he Oh, very good. Classic, yeah. yeah. No, he yeah. Yeah, he definitely is. He's horrible. Frank, Dr. Frankenstein, Dr. Victor Frankenstein of this book, absolute prick. The worst. He's the worst. He does a terrible thing. And then not only does he not keep his promise to the terrible thing, but he fucking runs away from it and causes even more havoc in the process. Um, this is a, this is a lot of Mary Shelley. There's a, there's a few autobiographical uh, elements in there, Michael. Uh, Mary Shelley had a very difficult life because her mother died in childbirth with her. So she never actually knew her mother, and her father was a very absent father after that. Mm. Uh, He was not the best, as it were. And it's unfortunate uh, for him. Her father was William Godwin, um, and I don't know if you know who William Godwin was. Well, let's imagine I don't. Okay. Um, He was an English journalist, political philosopher, and novelist, um, and he was one of the major... Uh, exponents of utilitarianism um, and he also developed the first ever proper modern concept of anarchism oh good um, man William Godwin no, is a, he had no time 
to be uh, listening to foppish teenage daughters. He didn't. He was quite an absent father after uh, her mother died. And so a little bit of the book and Dr. Frankenstein's own abdication of responsibility is a representation of what she had felt at the hands of her father. Um, mm. So I suppose if you were to lean into that, uh, Frankenstein's monster is probably Mary Shelley and then the parental themes around it are her own parents. But we can't really do that, Michael, because it wouldn't be fair. Anyway, come here to me. Come here to me. Come what? here to me. What? This has stuck around in perpetuity. Um, and the representation of Frankenstein's monster has changed massively over the years. And Michael, I'd, last, I'd like to ask you, why do you think that is? Film. Film. Good. Yeah. Good. Because mm, everyone spicy. was like, oh, we'll make a film about it. And it's like, oh, will it be a... Will it be a dramatic and considered retelling of the the nature of man's folly? Be, no, it'll be a big, big scary monster. He's a big scary monster man. He's a big scary to monster get man. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Will he be very good. smart and erudite? And will he cry over the body of his deceased man that he considered his father and enemy? Oh no, no, no. He he's got bolts coming out of his head or neck. So I, I think probably one of the most interesting things, Michael, is if you ever wanted to understand the difference between British entertainment and American entertainment, yes, that might on. be it. That might be it. Because in the British version, or in the original British version of this, it, a monster can be two things. It can be a beastly aberration capable of great violence and terror, but it can also be a living, breathing, feeling thing capable of its own motivations and pain. Uh, and in the original, Michael, the depiction of Frankenstein's creature is horrific. It's a bizarrely built, hulking, pale form of a man with strings of black hair that hangs down from his face. And then a very beautiful face. It's it's highlighted mm. several times in the text that while the body of Frankenstein's monster is a horrific patchwork that doesn't really all fit together properly, he's a very beautiful face. That's stitched together. Is but uh, the original book, Ben? It's it's not really. He's not. The whole idea of him being made of different bits of corpses seems to be a movie invention. Yeah. So he took a body, but there are stitches and marks all over his body because of the surgery that uh, Doctor Frankenstein has done to bring him to life. That wasn't my reading of it, Ben. My reading Aww. of it was in the the in the original in the book. Hang on. In 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 Mary Shelley Frankenstein's book, it doesn't really get into it. Like she she appears to have made him basically whole cloth. She does not describe his body of, though, doesn't she? Hang on. Yeah, yeah, but not, he's not he's not the depiction that we've kind of the drift the drift. I could be wrong about this because it's been a couple of years since I read it. No, but hang the drift on. in the there's a drift in the depiction of him where cinema went for. No, she dug up loads of different corpses. She, he dug up loads of different corpses, <laughs> chopped Shell them up, running around. And, and stitched them all back together. But <laughs> I got the impression that the the original monster, she basically makes him from not bits and pieces of people, but bits and pieces of meat and organs, and he's not a sewn together kind of human homunculus thing. He's a whole cloth creation. Of maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it. 
maybe I'm misreading it a little bit. He does. He, but, she does. He does take pieces from other corpses though and stitches it together. Yes. Yeah. 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 But not, not like an arm and a leg. Like, oh no! It's internal organs. Yeah. Sorry. But sorry. Not. But not even just internal organs. Doesn't he make it like basically from scratch? He takes the muscles fibre, but not. He's not like John's head on Alan's body. No, he's, he's leg. yeah. It's a it, yeah. I think it's I think it's a completely artificial man, as it were. Mm. Um, yes, exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, he's a completely artificial man. He's not made up of recognizable bits of other people. Mm. He's horrible. Yeah. No. Okay. That was, that was an interesting sidebar there, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But but is that's why he's so big because he couldn't make him any smaller. Because him being enormous doesn't make sense if he's made of bits of various people because the arms and legs would still be the same size. Yeah, it's true. Unless he got him from lots of different tall people. He has to make him big to fit everything in or something, isn't it? He describes yeah, it at yeah, one point where he's like, like, there's so much machinery I have to put in here that he has to be a tremendous yeah, being. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's a big, huge unit. Yeah. And then he's got a very pretty face, which is a weird detail mm. that I always found because that's how he gets... He, he talks... Frankenstein's monster talks to children a few times and the children have no problem with him when they can't see the size and scope of him and they're just like oh look at this pleasant man having a conversation with me why are you putting your hands around my neck pleasant man and then it's lights out for that little fella but anyway um yeah i think one of the things that it's enjoyed with is the cinematic representations of frankenstein but he's so unnerving in as a literary creation and then he gets a bit silly as a cinematic creation is like well we'll we'll give him a big square head and we'll put some bolts through his neck and that'll be scary and uh, I don't like all these words he's using in the book, so we'll just make him go. <laughs> uh, uh. When did he become green? Uh, so the first he's film. Not- go on. Yeah, go on. Uh, the first ever Frankenstein film was produced by none other than Thomas Edison, Michael. Oh, the light bulb uh, man. The light bulb man in 1910. And then uh, following okay. that, Michael, there were two German films uh, that kind of uh, stole from it. Uh, the Gollum in 1914 and Homunculus in 1916. But what catapulted Frankenstein to public knowledge was the 1931 film Frankenstein with Boris Karloff. So that's right, the, the kind of famous one. And that was followed up in 1935, Michael, uh, with Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and Bride of Frankenstein um, was uh, where Frankenstein wanted a mate. That is, of course, a core part of the original story. Um, he beseeches... He's kind of an incel. Yeah, he is a bit. He's like, how am I supposed to get a lady? Make me a lady. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Frankenstein the incel, very good. Very good. Um, but yeah, so that was, a, that was a thing that we had. But as far as when he became green, um, that's a little bit harder to track down. And I'm looking it up. No, now. I've tracked it down for you there, Ben. It's oh, very do, good. It's to do Get with camera there. techniques, basically. Oh it yeah, go on, green. tell me more. They used the they used a film technique called. Um, hold on a second, I've forgotten what it was called. Orthochromatic film, Ben. Oh, sure. Oh, orthochromatic film, of course, of course. And orthochromatic film, Ben, is particularly sensitive to green and blue light. 
Oh, that would so have they painted them green so that he would show up particularly pale. So they were going for the kind of yellowish skin tone, as as he's described in the book, a very pale yellowish sickly skin tone. So they painted them green because that's how it turned out on camera, as pale looking. I love it. I love it. Very good. Benjamin, the best depiction of, of Frankenstein's monster on screen is definitely 2012's I, Frankenstein with Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> <laughs> you remember so, in the book Ben when yeah. at the end um, Dr. Frankenstein dies after exhaustion and chasing him across the Arctic yes and then the monster the monster um, takes the body and says off I go now to burn myself in a pyre and we'll both be forgotten as yes. we should be that's not that's not what actually happened what actually happened was he went back to civilization and joined a war between gargoyles and demons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and, st- and started in an underworld-like adventure where he was torn between the forces of evil demons and good gargoyles. Uh, that's a, it's a classic uh, folklore conceit, Michael, isn't it? Uh, gargoyles yeah, versus yeah, demon. Yeah. We, that's a tale as old as time. We see that everywhere. Tale um, as old as time. <laughs> All this stuff about the hubris of man in creating this monster and, um, you know, the father abandoning his child. And that's all just a footnote to get going on. There's this battle, right, between demons and gargoyles. <laughs> gargoyles. That's, that's Mary Shelley's sequel, which is yeah. The Benevolent Gargoyles or... yeah. A modern demon hunter in Paris. Um, yeah, <laughs> bizarre. Michael, we got we've had a, we've had bizarre representations over the years. There's a 1969 film um, from Japan. Uh, oh, go on. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's called Frankenstein Conquers the World, <laughs> and um, it's like an action version of Frankenstein. It's hilarious. Um, oh, very good. So I, I discovered this while I was. Uh, having a look at different versions of Frankenstein, and it's bizarre. I'll I, I'll show you some pictures after this, but it's exactly what you would expect from a weird 1960s thing. The poster is magic. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal, um, and it's a kaiju film, Michael. It's it's um, it's Frankenstein taking on the kaiju's. Um, Very good. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Yeah, in a British, in a in a kind of uh, anglicisation of the title, it's uh, Frankenstein versus Baragon. And um, during World War Two in Nazi Germany, Nazis officers confiscate the living heart of the Frankenstein monster um, and pass it on to the Imperial Japanese Navy. <laughs> mm, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And they take it to a research facility, Michael, and then 15 years later, a feral boy runs rampant in the streets of Hiroshima, catching and devouring small animals. Um, And it turns out that he has somehow uh, been given the heart of Frankenstein and he becomes the hero of Hiroshima post-nuclear war. Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) Benjamin, all all joking aside, you know what had a great depiction of Frankenstein? Go on. Or Frankenstein's monster, or the creature was the was the twenty tens TV show Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful had a very good representation of a book accurate, solid take on the Frankenstein Doctor Frankenstein relationship. It did, didn't it? It was quite interesting. It was Rory Kinnear who played the creature, um, which isn't who you would think of when you're no. thinking of doing a big Frankenstein. Not at all. But he did a fabulous. 
erudite creature who just wanted to be loved and to be a human, but was capable of acts of gross and terrifying violence uh, to to get it, and had was, an obsessive yeah. an obsessive hatred with his creator, Doctor Victor Frankenstein. It's a it's a surprisingly Oh, like it's a TV show and there's there's vampires and werewolves and Draculas and all sorts of other mad shit going on. But yeah, it's a mummies. surprisingly accurate retelling of Frankenstein within that framework. Yeah, no, it's a, an excellent representation. I feel that he took, I don't know, if Michael, have you ever seen the seminal Hugh Jackman film Van Helsing from 2004? Benjamin, are you asking me if I've seen the Hugh Jackman film Van Helsing from 2004? <laughs> are you genuinely asking me that? But no, I'm not. I, you probably have seen it, Michael. We've seen lots of things in this podcast. There's a version of Frankenstein in that who's also very erudite and a little bit closer to what we might expect. But he's a weird fusion of both the Hollywood American version of Frankenstein and the source material of Frankenstein. It's very interesting. Um, he was played by yeah, a guy he, called he Cher looks, Hulling. He looks like, and then he's like, Oh, bugger, I'm bloody buggering Frankenstein, lads. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> it's like a character that one of our friends would play in a tabletop role-playing RPG. Stephen Cadwell, yes, I have your would. number. I have your number. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to get in touch with us and tell us what your favourite version of Frankenstein's monster is, mine is uh, Young Frankenstein. I, I love that. Oh, yeah, That's great good. stuff. Um, but yeah, you, Eckert. You can get in touch with us in a few different ways. You can find us on the interwebs at www.shomrabeug.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. We didn't watch the Robert De Niro one. I know someone's going to at us. We didn't have time. We had to watch The Hollows and The House of Usher, and there was too much going on. I had to re-familiarise myself with the book. I didn't have time to watch Robert De Niro being the monster. I'm so sorry. We had so much going on, Michael. <laughs> so much. So much. Uh, come here to us. Flipping come here Halloween. to us. You can yes, also what? find us on Instagram at Your Luxury Listen Podcast. You can find us on TikTok at Your Luxury Listen. Um, but the best way, ladies and gentlemen, to get in touch with either myself or Michael is to hop up on the Discord. Hop up on it. Tell us what is your favourite Frankenstein. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find us next week where we'll be taking a look at all the spooky, scary creatures that would make excellent monsters for from Celtic folklore. And then... Our things what? that go bump in the night film is The Boys from County Hell, which features the bizarre proto-vampire from Irish mythology, the Overtook. And Ben, is uh, are there any Game of Thrones alumni in it? Uh, I think there are, but you you know that better than I do, because I'm not good at stuff like that. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. See Excellent you next week, stuff. you big spookies.